Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, welcome out there to season two. When you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we're here for you and with you. We get the struggle, the challenge, the stigma, that sense of loss. So whether we're your first choice or your last chance, we believe that together we will make a difference. I'm your host, Randy Davis, for Faith in Your Recovery. I'm a retired pastor as well as founder and executive director of A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. ABLBH is a participant-driven, faith-based, compassion-filled support and recovery movement for those battling the battle with substance use disorder slash addiction. We're glad you've joined us today. I look forward to this opportunity. Our guest is Megan Lane. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, we look forward to what you have to share. Let's begin. Just kind of introduce yourself to the folks out there. Tell them what you're about right now in life. Uh, yeah, just shake hands with them and tell them who you are, okay? Well, I'm Megan. Um I recently just got remarried. Um, we share four children together. I have three. He has one. We just bought our first home in January, so we're coming up on the year anniversary of that. And I recently changed, completely changed career paths. I went from a 911 dispatcher of five years to an optician in an eye center, so completely new world and just a dog mom of three dogs and just trying to raise a zoo um, that's basically where i'm at right now i won't ask you which role is your favorite whether it's dog mom or kid okay. how old are the four children um 10 8 6 and 4 oh you will yeah. be in my prayers yes. okay those are challenging times and the challenge just changes but it grows oh yeah but i'd love to be back to where our boys were that age mm -hmm. too at the moment i might have kicked it but uh, <laughs> i'd be glad to get back there that sounds like kind of a dramatic change to go in to the uh, the op optical work oh, yeah. from having been a 911 dispatcher oh, yeah. what was the 911 work did it work on you quite a bit? Uh, what yeah. was that experience? Um, I was actually diagnosed with PTSD from working in 911. And I think it was just, I hit just this wall of just, I needed to decide if it was worth the toll on my mental health. Because I had gotten pretty far into 911 dispatching. I had won a scholarship. I had done trainings. I had taught classes. And, you know, I really thought that this was going to be a lifelong career for me and then I reached a point where it just took such a toll from my children and took a toll from my mental health that I just had to walk away 
Do you think a lot of that had to do with the fact of you take that work home, the tragedies you deal with, not that you discuss them, but I mean, your head and heart were still wrapped around all of that. Oh, for sure. And I think the biggest issue for me was the power of social media is it's so easy to find people. And when I learn people's names and you learn the stories of these people, I can find them online and then I can see the outcome of taking their 911 call and then I can get on and see the GoFundMes that have started and follow their story even more. And I think that brought it home more for me and it continued it even more. And it was probably not healthy for me to continue to look for those people. And I think it just, I tortured myself with it at home and I didn't need to. With social media as it is today, there are not many secrets or there are not a lot of privacy. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. I don't think people realize that. And I think working in law enforcement has made me change how I do things on my online persona has definitely changed. I think that changed a lot of us seeing yeah. it from the angle that you had to deal with. So let's go back to early in your life. As a young person, those preteen years, what was Megan like? Um, Honestly, I was just very, I was a good kid I went through a lot in my childhood there was a lot of trauma but my dad was you know I had a stepmom but she wasn't really involved and it was mainly just my dad so the trauma and the abuse that I went through my dad did everything he needed to do he put us in therapy he took us to all the right professionals so it was I was such a good kid but I just I longed for something more. I longed for love that I wasn't getting out of my family unit because it was just my dad. So I was looking for love elsewhere. And I was just, I don't know, I was just lost. I feel like I spent a lot of my youth lost and looking for love in the wrong places. One way or the other, we're going to find affirmation, aren't we? Uh, Somebody who approves of us as we are, even if that isn't in a healthy point. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay, let's kick it on up a notch to those early teen and late teen years, your high school times. Tell us more about Um, Megan. I spent a lot of time. um, That was really when things at home got pretty bad again. My stepmom kind of got swallowed and she had had gastric bypass surgery and she didn't follow through with any therapies. So she swapped food addiction with a pill and alcohol addiction. So then I got an up close view of addiction and I had to take care of her and take care of my brothers and take care of Were you know, the house my dad. child? Um, I No, I was actually the middle, but my brother's had graduated and went on to the military. Uh So I was the oldest one home. There's a great, there's a a huge gap in years between the siblings because they were a blended family. So there's 15 years between me and the youngest sibling. So there's a huge gap of age. So there was still two younger siblings when I was, you know, a junior, senior in high school that I was left to take care of. And my dad worked so hard to take care of us. And I think it just took a toll out because he had to work so hard. And someone had to be home to pick up the pieces, and it really fell on my shoulders to pick up the pieces. As that middle child, 
we sometimes take it on our shoulders. We become that family rescuer. I'm a middle child. I've had similar experiences, not exactly by any means, but I get the middle child syndrome. Oh, for sure. Uh, It had its benefits, but it also had its its moments, okay? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. All right. So you're seeing all this go on. You're seeing your stepmom give up her eating disorder or addiction, however you may have labeled that, and turning to drugs. Mm-hmm. What was the direct effect on you during oh, that? Oh, I was time? very I was very anti drug and alcohol. I was like, Nope, it'll never be me. I'll never do it. It was like I was the poster child for being well-behaved like because I thought that that's what I needed to do is I needed to be the perfect child now because this was in our family and this was a prime example of what could go wrong. So then I needed to be the perfect person that everyone else needed to look up to because now I had a point to prove. Is this happened? We had addiction in our family and now I have to prove that it's not going to be every person in our family. So that added to those responsibility issues yeah. you were talking about. You put it on yourself to be a perfect child, and that's, that's impossible, isn't it? Yeah, very <laughs> much so. Regardless of how we try, and sometimes we don't recognize it until we look back. Mm-hmm. How did that play out? In what ways were you trying to be that perfect child? Um, I really feel like I rushed my childhood because I— Really, I was with the same person I got with my first husband when I was 15. And we, I was engaged within three months of graduating high school. So I really feel like I was searching for this perfect family and I rushed my childhood through high school. I just, like, I mean, even in high school, we discussed just running away and getting married. And I feel like that's, I thought that that's what it took to be perfect was I needed to be married, I needed to have children, and I needed to be the perfect family. Picket fence, white picket fence and 2.1 children or whatever it may be today, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, okay. Uh, Was he older than you, the same age? Yeah, he was two years older, so he was um, a year ahead of me in school. Okay, so he was out in the world living about before you got out of school. he was in college, and he finished college, and I never... I never got to finish college because I went for, he was very controlling and I went for a semester and then things with my stepmom escalated to the point where I had to drop out and stay home and things with the boyfriend escalated to where he was then making demands for me to stay home. Okay. And he ended up moving in with my family because he was helping with the stepmom situation. And by the time we ended up getting married when I was 19, and by that point, my stepmom and my dad were in the, we had found out more where she was cheating on my dad. And I feel like I finally hit a wall with my father that like either you're going to divorce her and you're going to take care of my brothers or this is it for me. Like I'm going to walk away from the family, like, and I'm going to do what I have to do to take care of my brothers. And I think my dad hit a point where enough was enough and he had to walk i mean there's only so much you can do for a person in active addiction before you have to walk away from the situation and put your children first i feel like okay okay and that's where my dad struggled what were your education goals what um i really i went in for law enforcement and i really wanted to become a police officer or work in social work in the police field 
and kind of handle high risk situations where people with mental health are up there and they need to be edged down. And I really wanted to work with, you know, mental health crisis situations in the police field. We certainly have that need today. We've had it in our own local community more than once where it's been a tough decision for that office or what to do and how to deal with the moment. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're out of school. You say you got married three months after getting out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then what did life look like? Um, I immediately got pregnant. (laughs) No surprise. Um, And I had my son a month after I turned 20. And I just threw myself into what I thought was going to be this perfect family. And then my everything just changed we moved into a house across the street from his parents and that's when the abuse started and the controlling started now this is abuse from him toward you Mm -hmm. okay and i couldn't see my family i couldn't see my friends anymore um he was very violent towards me and just it was more mental abuse than it was physical abuse and it was very more control than physical but it was enough where it was more like threats. And, but there was a little bit of physical abuse that um, I just never felt like I was, I never felt like there was an out for me to report it. You couldn't let your guard down yeah, either, I'm sure, at any time. So no. that just had to be building anxiety and yeah. everything that goes with it, I mm-hmm. think. And I had a part-time job. Um, I worked at a grocery store and I made a couple friends there that he would let come, everyone had to come to our house. I could never Sure, and, that's the pattern. Um, she would come around, and that's really when I was introduced to drinking because I had just freshly turned 21. And I, I was like, well, you know, I'm drinking at home. It's not that big a deal. And we actually had, and I just, I remember a manager saying something to me and because we sold Mike's Hard Lemonade in a 10 for 10 bin at the grocery store I worked in. And I would buy 10 of them when I closed. And he goes, do you really think you need 10? And it just kind of surprised me. And I'm like, but I'm, no, it's not like I have a problem. But I would. I would buy, my son would be asleep. I'd come home from working a shift. And I would buy 10 of them. And I would drink 10 of them. And then I would prepare myself for my husband to come home. And that's when, and it was just really got started. And I never realized it was an issue because I felt like I was managing life. And I was still getting up and going, being a mom and going to work every day. Functioning. And I was functioning. And, you know, when I, and I was in the marriage until... I got pregnant with my daughter when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter three weeks. um, Three weeks after I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, he held a gun to my head. And I knew I had to plan my escape because I couldn't, not that I, it's not that I didn't think I couldn't protect my son, but bringing a daughter into the world kind of changed my perspective on things because if I'm going to bring a female into this then she's going to think this is okay and I wouldn't want my daughter I wouldn't want this done to my daughter and it kind of changed my views 
And I had my dad at this point had been remarried and I met with her at lunch one day when I was about seven months pregnant. And she says, I know he's abusing you. I don't know if he's abusing your son, but I know he's hitting you. And I will pay for you to file for divorce and I will let you live with me for six months free of charge while you get your life together. Will you do it? And within three days, I was moved out of the house. So that was an instantaneous, that was instantaneous yes, yes. And as quickly as you could get away. Yeah. Did your husband, did he have any struggles with alcohol or drugs? Yeah, he did. He was a heavy drinker. And that's why, like, I always, thank you. I always, um, it was just crazy because I always judged him for how heavy he drank because he would drink and then we would fight and then he would hit me. And then I'd get flowers in the next morning. I always judged his drinking. And it's a conversation that we've had since then because I've tried sobriety a few times. And it's been a conversation we've had since then. But I did. I heavy, heavily judged his drinking but thought that my drinking was okay. So it was kind of a weird situation where you can't do it, but I can do it. You and know. it was very odd. With my 35 years of experience having been a pastor, I get that because when we see our sin or our problem in someone else, of course it's bigger than the one we carry. Yeah. There's as much worse than ours, at least in our heads. We no, know better sure. in our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you moved out three days after the offer from your then stepmom, right? And she gave you six months there. Did you live with them for that six months? I did. And I stayed. I didn't drink my entire pregnancy. I didn't drink the entire time I lived with my mom. And then I moved into an apartment and I stayed sober. Um, and then I met someone and got pregnant again accidentally. Turns out breastfeeding is not birth control. And... I actually went into labor at 18 and a half weeks and there was nothing they could do. They couldn't stop the labor. They couldn't save the baby because he was so little. And um, I lost Jack and I stayed sober for probably six to seven weeks after because I went, I did maternity leave from work. And then it just started as, I'm just going out for drinks when my kids are home. So how long was that sobriety period, the entire? Probably, I would say close to a year and a half to almost two years I was, I had quit drinking. Okay. Was that, do you think, as you look back, was that more for the kids than for yourself? Or oh, at for least sure. because... Of the kids and the pregnancy. Yeah, and I think for sure it was my kids. And I think I was heavily distracted with my children. And I was doing, life was fine. So I didn't need the alcohol because there was nothing. I didn't need to numb anything. So I didn't really need to be drinking because life was fine. You were away from the abuse. Yeah. And uh, you at least felt safe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you said then X amount of weeks. After that, you started going back to the drinking with friends. Take us forward from there. So um, I really 
that's when I got the job in dispatch. I started dispatching and then we kind of established a parenting time schedule where my kids were gone 50% of the time. So 50% of the time I suddenly had freedom that I didn't have for the last, you know, time that I, since I'd become a mom. Earlier you had said you rushed your childhood. Now Mm -hmm. you're back to the freedom you'd never had before this. Yeah. And suddenly I was, it was like, I, I don't know. It was like I was a kid again and I didn't know what to do with my hands because suddenly I'm fresh to the world. I had never been in a bar before. I had never gone to concerts. I had never been, you know, I'd never been anywhere. And I was doing all of these new experiences. And that's what I chalked it up to is I'm living life. I'm doing all these new experiences. But then it just started getting to the point where I was blackout drunk almost every single day that my kids weren't home. That's it was just elevating really quickly. And then I started experimenting with drugs and hallucinogenics. And then it just became, well, I'm just doing this to have fun. And it's, I'm functioning because I'm not doing it. There's no, there's never, there was never alcohol in my house when my kids were home. You would never find alcohol in my house. So then no one thought I had a problem because her kids sure. are fine. There's no she evidence. She works sir. a good job, you know, and then I met someone else got pregnant again, got married, got sober because I got pregnant. So then I'm sober, I'm breastfeeding him. I'm staying sober. So then I was sober again for about a year and a half. And then I find out through a call from DCS that my husband had been abusing my son at night while I was working my dispatch job. And because my son has some special needs and he didn't know how to deal with the special needs. So his solution was to just lock him in a room and let him cry it out. Okay. And DCS didn't like that. And I didn't like that knowing the truth. So I packed the kids up, sent them to their dads, started looking for a new place to live and filed for divorce. I was done. Like, so here I've been sober this entire time. And I just went out for drinks with friends and it, the cycle began again. And I just, and every time I feel like it just got progressively worse. I experimented with more. Like I was what? Gone. What drugs? Um, I started out, um, I definitely smoked marijuana and that's where it kind of started. And then um, I experimented with just like the THC dabs. And then it got to the point where I was doing like molly and acid and mushrooms and things like that sort of things. Like many of the hallucinogenics that I really shouldn't have been messing with. And like it was insane because I was working in law enforcement and doing these things. Did someone introduce you to those or did you go on the No. No. They were offered and you They were offered and I just took them. Okay. And like you just said, you were in law enforcement during that time, which is a risk yeah, in and of Yeah, which is a risk itself. that I took every single day. Of any point in time, I could have been drug tested. Did you feel like there was, you know, that anybody knew what you were doing? You felt oh, no, like I you were getting was, away with it. I just it. thought I was getting away with it because no one... Was it ever confronted... 
Um, I did start struggling at work and there was a conversation with my boss that I felt like she was hinting that I was doing more than just drinking. I definitely feel like my boss at the time had her suspicions, but she never, I don't think she could outright confront me. She didn't have that, that final piece of evidence to know that she can take the next step. It got to the point where I began heavily struggling at work. Like I would go out and drink till one or two in the morning, go sleep at my friend's apartment till 6am and get up and go to work. And I would do that every other weekend because my kids were at home and I was falling asleep at my job. The fatigue factor with nothing else. Yeah. And um, it just became a huge struggle. And I got demoted at my job. I was a supervisor and I got demoted because I wasn't paying attention. And then that's when, you know, I just realized I was like, I have to make some changes. And I started looking for other jobs. I switched agencies thinking maybe if I switch agencies, that'll help. And around this time is when I actually met Sean. And he's not a partier or a heavy drinker and it kind of just kind of opened up my eyes to a different situation where you don't have to drink or do drugs to have fun because that had been my like yeah that'd been my whole world that'd been your pattern right so how long were you on that list of drugs that you mentioned just a few moments ago how long were they a a part of your life um probably from because i'm 30 now and i've been off of them for almost a year and a half and i would probably say from 23 to 28 it was a constant so a good five years they were they were in control of too many things oh yeah for sure okay okay was there any incarceration any legal issues during that time no and that's why i felt like i was superman because i never got in trouble i never was confronted by anyone for having a problem i was never accused of having a problem Like, I never had to have those tough conversations. And it was insane to me because deep down, I think I knew I had a problem. But I was so good at lying and so good at hiding it until I started having trouble at work. That was the only time. And then my solution was, I'll just find a new job. Yeah, yeah. Well, and run away. I think we'd learn to manipulate our own mind as well as other people. Yeah. Uh, we convince ourselves of those lies that we know we're, <laughs> we're just shamming ourselves. Yeah, okay. Sure. Yeah. So, how old were your kids at that time? Uh, let's say, yeah, how old were they? Um, they were pretty young. Because uh, Colton was born in 2012, and Claire was born in 2014. So they were probably four and six. That's close enough. Yeah. Uh, did they suffer any immediate consequences at that I think time? it's more, honestly, I don't think... It was never any immediate consequences. It was more they've suffered long-term effects. Yes. Of mom was there, but mom wasn't emotionally there. She was just physically there. She took care of our 
She fed us. She clothed us. She bathed us. She made sure those needs were met. Did she meet our emotional needs? No, she there didn't. There wasn't at all. a lot of nurturing. No, not there at all. There was the work of there the was, mom without the heart of the yeah. mom. Mom's laying on the couch asleep because she just came off a bender and now she's home with us and we're not having, you know, like I took my kids on and I'll never, like looking back on it now, I'm so ashamed of myself, but I took my kids on our first family vacation and I took my friend with me and she was supposed to go with me to have help. Like that was the whole point. But she was my friend that fed me drugs and... We got high before we did the Dixie Stampede with my children. And I said, like, we're driving home. And I was like, I, even then, like, even in the height of my addiction, I knew it was wrong. Like, going home, I had regrets then. Like, that was a memorable moment with my kids that I can't remember. And it's just insane. Like, I'm so ashamed looking back on it now that I chose this big event in my kid's life and I chose to be high for it. Do you see yourself taking them back to the Dixie Stampede? Oh, for sure. I would love to take them back on vacation and get a redo vacation. That's awesome. Yeah. I hope you can make that happen. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's go on with your recovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said you're 18 months clean, basically, at this point? Of drugs, yes. But only seven months sober from alcohol. That was a lot harder to kick. Okay, let's go back and tell us how you got to this point of your sobriety and being clean. Um, I think I just, when it came to the drugs, and my now husband kind of really helped me face some realities and did some hard, harsh truth with me. But I think it hit in a moment with me where <laughs> it was at my birthday party. And it was supposed to be about me. And I was at a concert I didn't even want to be at. And I had taken acid. And I had taken Molly. And I wasn't even having a good time. And I was like, why did I do all this? I don't want to be here. And I just looked across the room at Sean. And I knew he wasn't having a good time. And I wasn't having a good time. And I looked at all the friends that I had been doing drugs with for years. And I'm like, they're all having fun. But this is supposed to be, this day is supposed to be about me and I'm not having any fun. And then the next day, I was supposed to meet Sean's family at breakfast. And I was still under the effects of the acid when I met them. And I was so ashamed going into their home, like under the, and I knew, I knew then that I was done. And it took a while, um, but that, that was the day I was done with drugs. I just kind of stopped and walked away from it. And I was done, but it took a lot. Like I thought I had control of alcohol and I thought drugs were my issue. And I still like, I thought, well, I'll just, I won't keep alcohol in the house and I'll just drink occasionally and I'll just drink when Sean's around or I'll only have, I'll drink to this point. And, and then I, I had my, it was again at my birthday and I had my bachelorette party and my birthday kind of rolled into my 30th birthday and my bachelorette party rolled into one party and we were all just kind of sitting there drinking and I had gotten pretty intoxicated. Um, but a relative had come to the party and she had kind of gotten out of control. 
like really out of control and just watching her, I saw myself and I realized that this whole time, like that was me. So that was was a mirror for you at that moment. And I said, like, even if I said, I, this needs to be an all or nothing thing. Like I either need to be sober all the time from everything or I need to just accept the fact that I'm going to be a drinker. And I didn't want to accept the fact that I was going to be a drinker, so I needed to resolve to be sober. And May 1st was my sober day. I We poured so much liquor out of our house. And they had, I felt bad for the people who bought things from a bachelorette party that I, I should write them all a check because I poured so much alcohol out of my house. But it made me feel so much better to absolutely get rid of it. And you know what? I'm going to guess your friends today would have written you the check for the same amount they spend on that to see you where you're at yeah. now. Yeah. If they were friends. Yeah. And yeah. And I've lost. Drinking, I mean, drugging the, buddies. Yeah. The friends that are here today are the true friends. Yes. That always. I know are here for the long haul. And the friends that I've lost that I'm not drinking and drugging with, I know were never meant to stay in my they life. They were not true friends to begin yeah. with. Just drinking, drugging buddies kind exactly. of Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, how have you grown in recovery? Uh, what kind of steps have you taken? Have you been involved with any groups? Tell us about that. Um, at first, it was just me. And I relied really heavily on my husband, Sean, to kind of get me through cravings and get me through the struggles. Um, And then I always, we go to church in Connorsville and I pass, as you enter our church, there's all of these signs leading up to the Brianna's Hope sign. And I was just, I knew I needed to go. Tell the folks what Brianna's Hope is in your words. And my, I just feel like it's an all-around support system. Like, it's just a family that's there for any kind of addiction and any kind of struggle. It's just, to me, it's a family. It's support a tribe. Support and recovery. Yeah, in for sure. a couple sure. of words. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then what was the next step? How did that play? It just kind of, I don't know, it kind of happened all of a sudden. Like, I, it kind of hit me. I was in the church pew, and the leader of the Connorsville chapter, Joel, was sitting in a few pews away. And I kind of just approached him and I said, I really need Brianna's hope. And he kind of just stepped back and he was like, okay, well, come Tuesday. And I said, well, where is it? And he said, well, it's here at the church and we do the meal and kind of just walk me through the whole meeting process. And I said, okay, well, I didn't show up that week. And then he called me out at church the next week. And because I had previously tried getting sober and I tried AA And I lasted like three meetings and then I fell off the wagon. So I was really scared to commit to trying another group because I didn't want to let anyone else down. And I really felt like I let um, down everyone who was in AA because they really care about you when you go to those meetings. So I committed to going to Brianna's Hope and I got the support and the friends and I've got numbers of people who I can call when I'm struggling and that kind of build up. And then... I'm getting solo therapy um, through the hospital where we live, and that's really kind of helped. And I'm getting, um, I actually take a injection every month to help with alcohol cravings because it wasn't, I needed something more to just help. And it's not permanent. I'm not going to be on it for the rest of my life, but it is something that's helping get through the hump of the struggle right now. 
So how do you feel about where you're at right now, today? I feel really, I feel really good now. Um, I've been struggling mentally. I feel like I'm in a good place right now, physically and mentally. My meds are kind of figured out. I'm getting into the therapy I need to get. I'm getting more active in Brianna's Hope and talking to people and like really digging into the meetings and helping. And I think that I was just kind of there and existing for the, I'm just getting my sober time at first and I wasn't being honest in meetings. I don't feel like, and now that I'm open about my struggles and I'm getting feedback from other people, I really feel like I'm getting more out of the meeting. So you've gone from spectator to participant. Yeah, and it's changed a lot of things for me. And I think that is so important. What kind of roles God played in all of this do you believe, Megan? Oh, he's played the biggest role in it all. I don't think I would still be here if it wasn't for God. Um, We had started going to Crosspoint Biker Church probably a year before I started attending Brianna's Hope. And I kind of built my faith. And I think that that's what helped me building my faith first and then deciding to get into my recovery and become sober was my biggest I needed to do. I Because I had never been introduced to anything faith-related. And I think I needed to learn my own faith before I could get into something faith-based and do something recovery-wise. It gave you a personal foundation yeah, to, exactly. uh, to build on. Yeah, I needed to understand the idea of a higher power. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay. Uh, as you know, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. Mm-hmm. Explain those four words, faith in your recovery, from your own personal experiences. I feel like I... In my own personal experience, I feel like faith in my recovery means I have faith in every moment of every day because I have God behind my back. There, It's never me walking this walk alone. Like I always think of that um, poem, like the footprints in the sand. Uh, uh, I yes. always think of that. Like I'm never walking this alone. And that that's the biggest thing of faith in my recovery is I don't have to do this alone. Because I have God with me at every step of the way. And when you can't take the next step, what? He picks you up and carries yeah, exactly. you. There again. He's always That's there. why there's only one set of footprints for yeah. part of that journey. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Uh, folks, uh, Megan's husband, Sean, has been here with us. So, Megan, what would you like to say to Sean as far as his support? And help in all of this. Oh, you're probably going to make me cry now. That's um, okay. Just a huge um, thank you. And I just, an unending thank you. <laughs> and the amount of support that I've gotten from him has been amazing. And I'll never, ever make up to him everything he's done for me in the past years that we've been together. And I'm just in love with the life that we've built for our family, and I'm so proud of all the trauma that we've overcome to get to the point where we are and where we're going from here, and I can't wait. I can't speak for Sean, but I'll bet you being where you are is the payment he hoped for, (laughs) is having you healthy, having you whole, having you more than functioning 
but as you said earlier, you were present, but you weren't participating in your yeah. kids' lives. To hear you say you love where you're at. Those are powerful words from somebody who who lived in some pretty deep darkness, had some yeah. pretty awful moments. So thank you. Thank you for your willingness to come and share on Faith in Your Recovery. Sean, thanks for coming along. Appreciate that. Uh, we'll continue to keep you in prayer and thought and believe God's got big plans for you, going to keep using you. And folks, thank you for joining us today. Continue to follow us on your favorite podcast platform and tell a friend about us. Leave us a, a comment or send us an email at podcast at ablbh.org. Subscribe, like, and share. And above all, remember, don't give up on yourself or others and don't give in to the urge. Your answer, your healing, your recovery may be just around the next corner. Who knows? Maybe even on our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Believe and keep fighting the battle. God bless. Amen.